first, before we start, I wanted to uh, just tell you a little, uh, this is a, a true story, but it's got to do with where we're at right now. And it's, um, how many of you have ever heard of Rear Admiral Byrd Jr.? He was born in 1888 and died in 1957. He was an American naval officer who specialized in feats of exploration. He was a recipient of the Medal of Honor, the highest honor for valor given by the United States. And he was pioneering American aviator, a polar explorer, and an organizer of polar logistics. Can you just imagine what it would be like to live alone in darkness for six months? During Admiral Byrd's first Antarctic expedition, he flew to the South Pole all by himself. He built a small hut to shelter himself from the brutal six-month-long winter night. Blasts of Arctic wind and biting, blowing snow buried his small hut every night. And each day, Admiral Byrd shoveled his way to the surface of the snow. When he broke through, the light was so dim he could only see a dozen yards. If he left his hut, he had to use the stovepipe, which was sticking out of the snow as a reference point to find his way back. One day, when he turned to go back, he could not see the stovepipe. Although panic threatened to overwhelm him, he refused to move. He knew the danger. If he wandered about looking for his hut, he would probably get further and further away. Instead, he drove a stake into the snow. Using it as a center, he paced around a large circle looking for the entrance to his hut. He kept one eye on the stake and searched through the darkness with the other. Not finding the hut, he extended his radius and made a bigger circle. The third time he tried, his circle was so large, he almost lost sight of his stake. He returned and resolved to make one more attempt with an even larger circle. As he made that fourth round, he strained his eyes to see through the darkness. He knew if he lost sight of the stake, his reference point, he would quickly die in the ice and snow. But the fourth time, he walked right into the hut's tunnel. This is an amazing story. And all of us have had circumstances in our lives that leaves us feeling overwhelmed, bills, <laughs> Sickness, family problems, etc. But thank God we do have a reference point, and it's the Bible. We can stake our lives on its teaching and principles. God gives us guidance on how to live. When we love and trust and obey Him and His Word, we will enjoy the abundant life He has promised to every believer. John 1 1 2. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And you know, every time that I pick up this Word, every time in this church we make our declaration about this Word, I fear that some do not appreciate this Word. 
If it was a transformer, this word would be Jesus right here. God in the flesh. This word was made flesh. We need to respect and honor and hide the word and protect it because we're living in a time. New translations coming out, parts of the scripture being taken out, parts being added in, different things happening. We're, we're facing some real problems. Our Bibles reveal Jesus to us from Genesis to Revelation. If we love Jesus and we want to know him better, we must go to the word. That's the only way. In addition, Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to give us understanding in the word. The Holy Spirit does not speak of himself ever. He speaks to us to reveal Jesus. God's word is above his name. Psalm 138 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. We know <laughs> and we understand just the power in the name of Jesus. But his word is above his name. That is how important the word is. Knowing the word will sustain you in any situation and will prevent you from falling into deception. The word is living and it is life-giving. The word needs nothing added to it and nothing should be taken away from it. When all else fails and fades away, the word of God will remain. The word of God is not founded on error with a bit of truth thrown into it. It is the truth. We're to hold it up as the standard, and Jesus Christ is to be the foundation built upon not false theology or religion and unsound doctrine, which permeates thought and ideas just as the Scripture teaches that a little leaven does. Galatians 5.9 says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little cancer will infect the whole body. A little sin will destroy the testimony. This leaven leads to hypocrisy in one form or another. It doesn't say that a little error can be ignored. Rather, it says that little error will permeate all thought and all doctrine. God's word is what is to be used to discern truth and error. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word is true altogether, and it sharpens us in discernment. We hear from some that we can eat the meat and spit out the bones. We tolerate error to find truth. We're living in a time when men are adding to or taking away from the word, and political correctness has infiltrated even the church. It is stilling us. 
watering down the word, changing it, making it of no effect. We are responsible as Christians to discern truth and error and help believers to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we selfishly eat the meal, spit out the bones, and never correct the false teaching? If so, we do damage to younger. Did this group, I looked at this amazing amount of young people right here. And there are some things floating out right now that they could so easily be sucked into. And it, it is our responsibility to be able to call out as the Holy Spirit raises and increases the discernment in us and we see something that is not right and does not add up to the word to be brave enough not to be so politically correct that we're just going to love it and embrace it. We're going to eat the meat and spit out the bones, but we're going to speak to false doctrine. You've got to protect these youth. So if so, we'd, we'd, do, we'd do damage to the younger or immature Christians who might not recognize the error, or even for the sake of the person who's speaking out the false doctrine. They may not even know. They may be sucked into it. And it just creeps in. The little foxes spoil the vine. It's not some big, blatant thing. Matter of fact, I rarely ever watch Christian TV. I read a lot. And, uh, and I'm just, I watch maybe a movie every now and then, but I'm not one to really watch it. But I tell you, I am, I, someone came to me and they gave me a series of tapes. And I know that it is what is circulating. And I was stunned and heartbroken when I saw this because I saw the mixture but the thing that hurt was that men of God were holding hands with it and it is not scriptural and my heart has been broken and I'm glad that Anthony has given me the opportunity to just remind us we've got to get serious and our young people need to be filled with the word and you know we are I know that we are a prophetic Bible believing church but if this was going to be a prophetic lesson you would hardly be able to find an empty seat but where you teach the word of God you will have very few and we need to pray that God will increase the hunger for the word. And the Holy Spirit can take that as far as he so desires to do it. Just because you are a fundamental Bible believer and you believe this word of God to be true does not make you cold or stale. It gives you the foundation where the Holy Spirit can move and where the power lies where the gospel is preached, not some message of psychology, 
or the certain medicines or vitamins that you take, because a lot of these preachers now are just nothing but vitamin peddlers. And I'm sure the heart of God is sickened and sad because he is gr- I have been so grieved that this would go on. And I had not only this series of tapes, but I had a woman just in, the cons- just in an area where we do business who came to me and she said, Oh, Linda, she knows I'm, I teach the Bible. She knows I'm a Christian. I thought she was. She came to me and she put these sticky notes uh, on my money. And she says, oh, you have got to read this. You have got to look at this. You've got to go online. You can find all about this guy. He has been so, he is so knowledgeable. And he was not a Christian. And then he had an experience with the, with the Lord. And he's with these, and he's had experience with these dead people. And he's even get to see, he even got to see Jesus. And Jesus was telling him, you've got to get the message out. And I'm like, oh, my word. I couldn't even respond to her. And then I got the second thing. And I thought, Lord, you're showing the church that something's got to be done. And it cannot come into this place. And it cannot taint the young people of this house. They must know the word. And they must be true to that word. So... We are responsible. And we, as the older people, not Kim, not you. <laughs> That's my beautiful baby. As, as older and more mature in the Lord, it is our responsibility to check these things. And these things need to be checked right at that door. That cannot come into this place. And I'm going to have to deal with a couple of things, and I'm just praying God give me the wisdom to know how to deal, it, deal with it because I love, I love the people that are responsible for this. So we're going to go on now. Simplicity that is in Christ, because there are three things that the Lord began to deal with me about. One is that he is the good shepherd and that he leads us beside the still water. And, you know, the sheep get rattled if there's loud noises. And Jesus leads them, and he leads us beside the still water. There should be no, no upset in our tranquility. Our peace is from the Lord. The, the other thing that he said is, I'm holding your hand. And when Anthony began to prophesy, the Lord said, I'm holding your hand. He will hold our hand. And the third thing he said, that many will be deceived because of the simplicity that is in Christ. We make the gospel difficult. It's either so mystical and so woo-woo and so gold dust falling down from the heavens and uh, angels' wings bumping into you instead of the gospel. And we went, when we went through Jude... We have left the gospel. It just has seeped in. 
So simplicity that is in Christ is 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 6. And, and Paul says, but I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Paul is telling us here that there is simplicity in Christ. Serving him is not complicated. You don't have to have a master's degree to understand his word. The only thing he requires is your heart. And he has provided you with the most amazing teacher, made, and, it, it, which, and to teach you and to guide you, and that is the Holy Spirit. And every time you call, he is there to lead you and guide you and teach you. And then I had written down again, he is the gentle shepherd that leads you beside the, the still water. So God is going to lead us through this thing. And I feel like the, the burden that has been on my heart is that young people that do not know the word. I know we're, we're not going to be caught in that trap. But the young people that do not know the word uh, could get, easily get swept into this. And this particular scripture where it says simplicity that is in Christ and how that he mentions Eve being beguiled. And you know what Eve wanted? She wanted wisdom. And do you know what the mystics that have invaded the church want you to have? Wisdom. Just like, and, he, and they're offering it to the church just like Satan offered it to Eve. But there is a wisdom that is from above, and it cometh from him. And it is not woo-woo wisdom. It is not weird. And the wisdom always and every manifestation of the Holy Spirit will always point you to Jesus not to any man, but it's going to always point you to Jesus. And if it doesn't point you to Jesus, walk away from it. Because God is not going to share his glory with anyone. So, Paul sets forth, then he begins to set forth his qualifications as an apostle. And man, I mean, if you read 2 Corinthians, the, starting at 11, verses 16 to 31, and you realize what this man went through. It is an amazing thing. If anybody had a right to boast, and he was embarrassed that he'd even said, he was embarrassed that he even shared the things that had happened to him because of the ministry. And then he has an experience in the 12th chapter, 2 Corinthians and the 12th chapter, and he begins to talk about being caught up into the third heaven. He doesn't even take credit for it. He says, I don't know. He says, it, it, me or 
some other guy, whatever. I mean, he is just, he is not going to even put himself into that place. But I want you to read something right here, or take note. He said, whatever he saw was unlawful to share. Today, we hear of all of the out-of-body experiences, the visits to heaven, the dead saints mingling among us, the heavenly saints instructing and teaching us. What is this? They make tapes and they sell it to the believers or they write a book for profit. If it was unlawful for Paul, it would be unlawful for anybody unless the God really told you you had to share this thing. The church has been bombarded with mysticism, false teaching, no repentance, no hell, many ways to God, and etc. And Paul gives Timothy some important instructions regarding the word. He says, study, study, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. Timothy should be diligent to make sure that when he stood before God, he should receive the Lord's approval and not be ashamed. And sometimes we forget about that, that we're going to stand before him and give account of the things that he has given to us, the tools that he has given to us, and how we chose to use them. He must teach it consistent with God's intended meaning and his intended purpose. Handling accurately, cutting straight is a figure that paints a picture of a workman who is careful and accurate in his work. The Greek word elsewhere describes a tent maker who makes straight rather than wavy cuts in his material. It pictures a builder who lays bricks in straight rows. A roadmaker who constructs a straight road and a farmer who plows a straight furrow. The way a minister of the gospel presents the word of God was of primary importance to Paul, and it should be to us. Jesus is the way. <laughs> Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the word made flesh. And Jesus is the plumb line. If you know what the plumb line is. Jesus Christ is the truth and the plumb line of God. Do we fear that plumb line or do we rejoice in it? Amos 7, 7 through 8 says, Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line. That, was, that wall was going to be straight. With a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And this was a prerequisite to some bondage, captivity, scattering. But the plumb line. And if we were asked the same question that God asked Moses what do you see? Would we view the plumb line as baby sweet Jesus in the manger? Is that what we think the plumb line is? 
Or would we view the plumb line as the unyielding judge Jesus at his second coming to this world? Who will no longer save them because they fail to recognize his coming to them in the time allotted for accepting that salvation. God is an exact God. Everything. <laughs> we forget. We're so sloppy. We're sloppy with the gospel. We're sloppy the way we live. But God is not. You can look up in the heavenlies and you can see the order of God. When Moses was getting the plans for the tabernacle and for all of the instruments of the tabernacle, it was to be exact. When God said, you put this much of this in this incense, you put this much of that in this incense, it was exact. God is an exact God. When he gives, and I don't know why I'm saying this to somebody, but when he gives you a command, when, he, when you feel very led of the Lord to do a thing and you know it is the Lord, you better complete it exactly like he said. Don't him and haw. Do it exactly as he said. I can tell you a mistake I made as a younger woman when I did not do that. I was praying one day, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I want you to draw near to this friend of mine. Her name was Shirley. She's, she's distantly related to me. He says, I want you to draw near to her. He says, because death will visit her home. She was like 26 years old. Her husband was 28. But I knew the parents. And so I, instead of, he said, draw near to her, I want you to befriend her. She's going to need a friend. And so instead of doing what he had said exactly, I got on the phone because her parents lived in Oregon. I called my sister. I said, you've got to go. One of them, I, be I believed God. I believed that death would visit that household. But I was figuring it out. I was leaning onto my own understanding, and the parents were elderly. And I said, June, you got to go. You got to go. You got to make sure they're right with God. Go. She did. She called me. She said, No, they're right with God. Because I didn't want her to tell them that somebody was going to die. But I didn't do what the Lord said. I kept trying to figure it out. The Lord had never told me anything like that so plainly that I, I mean, I know when the Lord is speaking to me. So I get a call, and they said, you will not believe it, but Shirley's husband and her were on their motorcycle. They just bought this motorcycle. They were going just a few miles from their house, went around a corner, lost control of the bike. Johnny flipped off the bike, and the esophagus was ruptured on impact, and he was dead on the spot. And I had no way to get to her, but the Mormons did. She finally came to the Lord, but it was after many years, but it was because of my disobedience. In the meantime, she's raised a boy who was killed on the road to Alaska, was not serving God. And I often think, had I obeyed, had she been in church, had her boy Marty been raised in church, what would have happened? We do not know. But when he speaks... He is exact God.
He's not messing with you. He wants obedience, exact obedience. Hebrews 8, I'm not going to read these two scriptures. It's just about the exactness of God when in the tabernacle. And he's saying, See, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. It was very necessary. Oh, Yeshaha Yekoroho Mahaya. Ikata Shurahata. Isikriabako Shayatiata Lomasaya. Oh, Father. We so underestimate you, Father. Give us understanding. It's not the good found amongst the error that should have us wanting to be part of a group or a theology or uphold a particular leader. If we know that the teaching or the teachers are founded on falsehood, our unsound doctrine, we are not to partake of that table. Poison is served at that table. Or the meat with the bones is served at that table. You can't endorse falsehood when you see something wrong. Isn't it being double-minded to say one stands by the word of God and yet goes by secular saints? Doesn't God address that as well in James 1.8? And it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. God's word is our defense. In Ephesians 6.6, 6, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. My word is above my name. Oh, how we should cherish that word. How we should be eating of that feast of the word. Shame on us if we have put our Bibles aside and we have not searched the scriptures. We are called to speak sound doctrine for a reason. We aren't given an option. Titus 2, 1 says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Titus 1, 9, it says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now the God of hope fills you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. There are many scriptures that warn us of savage wolves coming in in our time. Even in the time of Paul, false teachers, false doctrine, 
etc. in these last days, but I chose a few. These things, and I, I would repeat myself because these things have been on my heart, and my heart has been so heavy. I know that we are at the beginning of a new wave of God. I went through this already once in my life where God was doing a new thing. And it just seemed like that the whole world just corrupted in the most stupid things. When the Jesus movement began to come forth, it was the craziest, wackiest time. Hate Ashbury and the death of the hippies and all that stuff. It was just horrible. But every time there's a new wave of God, I mean, the enemy is swishing his dragon tail, and he's having a fit. So during any new move of God, the enemy tries to bring confusion to God's people. The heart of the Lord is to remind you that he is the great shepherd, and he will lead you beside the still water. (laughs) The gospel is not complicated. When it seems complicated, it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. He willingly came to this earth for 33 years to teach and to disciple. He willingly went to the cross to die in our place. He arose from the grave, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And all those that believe in him are seated with him there. His arms are open to anyone who comes to him in repentance and believes this gospel. And you are so lucky because I'm, letting, I'm, I'm finished. <laughs> Unless you want me to go on. <laughs> Blessed Jesus. Just pray because the person that I know Stuart has dealt with this too is a lovely woman of God. And the person that has, I mean, it's, it's not small. It's huge. It is huge. And it is earth-sweeping. But when you teach a doctrine where dead saints from heaven come down to help you, you have opened a door that if people allow it to be opened, it's going to be tough to get it shut again. And when you look at Joan of Arc in the middle of your service, dropping in with sword raised in her armor, cheering you on, I'd like to know where that's in the scripture. When you see things like this, and it is, it, it is, it's awful. It is not the way the Lord, it's not in my Bible. And so many, and so much of the things that we're seeing are not, we don't see the evidence of the, the, the scriptural back, the foundation for it. 
and you just, it's, it's just difficult. It's really, really difficult because I have heard three quarters of what I heard was totally accurate. Wouldn't you say? So much of it was accurate. So much of the, the preaching was accurate. Some of it was absolutely re- revelation because I've received the same revelation. Some of it was very revelatory. But my daughter, Judy, said something to me. She said, Mama, have you ever seen a shard card? Uh, a, a card shark? <laughs> have you ever seen a shard card? <laughs> a card shark. Uh, and she said how that they will, it's right card, right card, right card, wrong card, right card, right card, wrong card. This is the thing. When it's wrong, it's wrong. It's the leaven. 